values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with me here on the show. Um, consumers lower their expectations of future inflation. Um, there are a couple of things that are damaging to an economy when it comes from a business standpoint. And instability is a big one. If you have um, – I, I always like to use the restaurant industry as an example because the restaurant industry – um, is one that has, you know, it, it's got so many moving parts, but they are counting on the cost. First of all, they have a labor cost. And when you have a, when you have a stable labor cost, when you know basically what your labor cost is, you understand what you need to charge for meals and how many of those meals you need to serve to keep your doors open. There's been a lot of instability in wages because we know that there was a shortage of, of people to work and they were paying much higher wages and they were climbing and climbing and climbing. That's the instability. It's one thing if you say, listen, we were paying people, I'm going to say we were paying a dishwasher 12 bucks an hour, but now we know it's going to cost us at least $15 an hour for the dishwasher. When you don't even know what that cost is going to be because you're paying more than you ever have, but they're leaving because somebody offered them even more, even more, that's instability. When your purveyors, when the people that are selling you the food you cook, whether it is the, the meat that you cook or the vegetables that you use or the spices that you use, when you are watching prices climb so fast you can't keep up, that instability is where the problem lies in a major way. If it settles somewhere very high, even if you don't like it, you know what the market is. You're not going to get hammered because last week you paid this much for a case of chicken wings and next week you're paying 20% more. That instability is hammering businesses. And I just use the restaurant industry as an example. The same thing is happening in construction. Then you throw in it with the instability in the um, supply chain, and then you see that there are some things that aren't even available. For a while, we were building homes that didn't have garage doors or didn't have shutters, and a lot of it was because the material to make those things was not available. So you were seeing people moving into homes where their garage door wasn't installed yet. Those kinds of things that are destabilizing are what drives businesses crazy because you never know what's going to happen. Because one time you bid as a, in construction, you bid a job and you bid it at the current costs. One of two things can happen. Either you are going to be way overpriced because you're using numbers that were old and prices have gone down or you are going to be way underpriced probably get the job and it's going to cost you a lot more money than you make because you didn't use current numbers. That instability is huge. Well, it's the same for consumers. The instability to a consumer is this is how much money I make every week. I'm either salaried or I make an hourly wage and at a 40 hour, 40 hour work week, this is what I bring home. And so what am I going to pay for potatoes? What am I going to pay for milk? What am I going to pay for gasoline? What am I going to pay for rent? What, what's all of this going to cost? Because it changes every week. What was a year ago, 100 bucks, and climbed to $128, climbed to $140. Well, you know, what, is it, what does this mean? So consumers are lowering their expectations about future inflation. Uh, the average American is withdrawn $600-plus from their savings just to stay afloat. 
So um, this is just a part of what families are feeling, the instability that comes with a lack of financial security. You know that you know there's advisors that tell you how much money you should have in savings. In order to, uh, you know, in case something happens to your job or you have an illness, you should have a certain number of months of salary set aside. Ideally, you should have a short term savings account and a long term savings account. And there are many families that follow this and they follow these approaches to make sure that they are financially stable. Well, families are now finding themselves not only not able to put that money away, but they're tapping into those reserves now. And it's destabilizing in there. Small business sentiment hovers near historic low as inflation rages. It is affecting small business owners. So when small business owners are having to pay higher wages because of the market, which I think is fair, you know, when the market dictates, you know as well as I do, I've been on both sides of that desk. When you're the business owner, you have to pay what the market says you have to pay for employees. But when it goes the other direction... When recession kicks in and layoffs happen, you're in the driver's seat, and now you dictate what wages are fair for those employees because a lot of times those things don't matter. Um, home, vin- home inventories are climbing. Electric cars are too costly for many, even with aid in a climate bill. And I like this story for this reason. We've talked about this push, and I believe that this administration's push toward, uh, you know, the climate change agenda and what they're trying to do with re, uh, with alternative or renewable forms of energy. Um, if, if that's the direction the world is going, then I get it. I understand that. But when you're trying to force it on people, and we've heard this over and over, the energy secretary has said it multiple times. If you had an electric car, this wouldn't matter. We've got Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, saying this is going to push people toward electric Electric vehicles, but it's going to push people toward electric vehicles that can afford an electric vehicle. You know, even a used uh, a Tesla or a used uh, battery-operated vehicle, whatever they are, used vehicles are still very expensive compared to gas vehicles. And when you look at the people that are paying the most for gas because their vehicles are less energy efficient, it's people that are at the lower end of the economic stratus are latter because they are the ones that are have the least amount of money to spend on a vehicle. So they're the ones paying the biggest price for gas because they're filling up more often. They don't have the energy efficient vehicles. They don't have an option of dropping 60 grand on a new Tesla. So this is where, you know, all of these plans make it look like this is a great idea. And if you do this, if you watch these people do this and say these things, they sound so absolutely out of touch with the American consumer. The idea that we're doing everything we can, well, they just aren't. The The agenda here is clear. The agenda is climate change first, and the American people are going to pay the price. Now, what's interesting about that argument is in this new bill that they've passed, which we're going to get into uh, more as the show goes on um, – In this piece of legislation, they make it look as if they are only hammering high-income people, which I don't believe is true, and I think it's going to play out that that's not exactly true. But they make it okay to do that. We're going to spend more money, but we're going to hammer the rich to do it. But we're watching the inflation cripple the working class in America, and they are the people that they claim to be helping. So there's going to be a massive um, Social Security increase in the fall. So people on Social Security will get a big bump. And so they will keep their heads above water, thankfully. 
or at least in a much better place. But what about the middle class that doesn't get that? Those are the people that are always left holding the bag, and they're going to be left holding the bag this time as well. And it, it's just fascinating to me. What we're going to do in a moment um, is talk about small businesses and the IRS because this is the other leg of this stool. We're going to go directly back to the Inflation Reduction Act. Small businesses across this country and small business associations are screaming that this is going to cost them. And it's not just going to cost the multi-billion dollar corporations. We're going to explain what the reasoning is coming up in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with us here on the show. Um, There is so much that's going on that's concerning to people. I want to get into this IRS and the small business concerns of what's what's in this bill. Um, The Inflation Reduction Act includes huge tax increases. So, again, I've never seen it happen before. Maybe it has. I'm not an economist. But how does taking money out of the economy – how does, how does taking discretionary income away from whether it's rich or poor, taking money out of the American economy during an inflation, during a recession ever lead to reduced inflation? It doesn't. It never has and it never will. As a matter of fact, not my words, former President Obama said that. Obama, who was a very liberal president. Said You don't take money out of an economy during a recession. So then the technical term of recession, are we in one? Well, it depends on what family you are, I guess. It depends on how how much money you make a year. Because I know a lot of families out there that were doing just fine a couple of years ago that are hurting right now. But the other part of this is the billions of dollars that have been allocated to increase in a huge way the number of IRS agents out there. So – the compare and contrast for the average American that doesn't care about politics. We have seen a reduction in the number of federal agents on our southern border. And we have heard uh, from Brandon Judd and other members of the, of, the, of the labor unions that represent the agents on the border that they are dramatically understaffed. They are dramatically overwhelmed and nothing is happening and this administration is doing nothing to solve this problem. Yet we are taxing the American public. You want to call it the rich? They make you feel better. You do that. We are taxing the American public to increase the size of the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, by 87,000 people, agents and auditors. That's what's happening in this bill. So we are going to – the logic here, we are going to tax the American taxpayer so that we can hire more people to audit them to drag more taxes out of them. That's what this does. You see the ideology that's in place. And I don't think there is either side of the aisle. The IRS wasn't trusted by the left when Trump was in office, and they proved it during when the uh, when um, or the yeah the left didn't trust it when Trump was in office, and the right didn't trust it when Obama was in office, and they don't trust it now. As a matter of fact, during the Obama administration, they got caught going after conservative groups and nonprofits, and there isn't a scarier agency on the planet than the IRS. The White House economic advisor will not say 
will not confirm or deny that the 87,000 new IRS agents will not audit people making under $400,000 a year. So when they say people making under $400,000 a year won't pay any more in taxes, well, the response is, well, if you do your taxes right, you shouldn't have to worry about it. Have you uh, anybody? I again, I don't I don't lead. I don't have a complicated life. I have a home. I have a car. I have a motorcycle. That's what I own. I have a job. And, you know, they take cat. They take taxes out of my salary. So I have a normal life like everybody else does. I pay someone to do my taxes. It's complicated. And it shouldn't be that complicated for Americans to file their taxes. And so what you do as a business, many businesses do, they hire a lawyer and they say, you know what, for a few thousand dollars or whatever is major corporations, a lot more than that. But we can spend money and employ people that can navigate the tax laws and we can find legal loopholes to get our tax burden down as low as we possibly can. And then those corporations are hammered for doing that. The funny thing about that is I would guarantee you. That the wealthiest among us in the United States Congress, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Bernie Sanders is a multimillionaire now. They pay people to do their taxes. You can just fill it out. You can say, this is what I made. I'm not going to take any deductions. There's even a line to donate more if you want to. They pay people. Hollywood, the Hollywood elite, they set up corporations. They find ways to pay as little in taxes as possible. They find the legal loopholes so that they pay as little as possible in taxes. Yet, when a corporation does it, they're seen as evil. Now, I will tell you, blame the tax laws, and I do, that people should always pay their fair share. But the problem is, if we did it in a way that was fair, then even people at the lower end of the economic ladder would pay more. Because the way this sliding scale is set up now, there's a huge segment of our population that at the end of the year, because of the refund they're getting, pay nothing in federal income taxes. Nothing. And you're never going to change that. You're not going to tell a working class family that you have to pay 10% of your salary. And it's as simple as this. If you're making $50,000 a year, you're going to pay, let's say, 10%. You're going to pay the federal government $5,000 in federal income taxes. No one is going to say that because they're used to getting a $3,700 return or more. But if you want to talk fairness, that's fair. Is it fair that less than 50% of this country pay the vast majority or all of the taxes in this country? And there is a significant number of people that hover over 50% that because of the kickbacks and the things with COVID will pay nothing in federal income taxes. Is that fair? But in the end, the increase, the huge increase of the IRS is scaring both sides of the political aisle and it should be addressed accordingly. Coming up in a moment, we go back to the Mar-a-Lago raid and what one FBI agent spent 30 years with the Federal Bureau of Investigation will tell us about how different this is from anything he's ever seen. You'll hear it next. Strong value. 
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, I started having conversations when the story broke that they did a raid at the former president's home in Mar-a-Lago in Fort Lauderdale, and I'll tell you why. Um, I didn't think Bill Clinton was above the law. I thought that what he did with an intern in the Oval Office should have been punishable by him losing the presidency. I thought he damaged the character of the office. I didn't like the way he handled himself, and I thought he got off um, uh, for something that he did very, very wrong. And I think in fairness, we have to look at our own side of the aisle, and if somebody on our side of the aisle has done something egregious, we should hold that up and say that's not acceptable for anybody that's in that position. So what did President Trump do that was so egregious that the FBI would raid his home? So I started asking around because I just want honest answers. I voted for Trump twice, but I don't have allegiance to any one person politically. Ronald Reagan made mistakes. Um, I was, I, I still am. I am a huge admirer of George W. Bush as a human being. He made mistakes. He did things I didn't agree with. When you're in the public light, you're going to disagree with people that normally agree with you. I get disagreed with all the time. It comes with the territory, and I have absolutely not even close to the president, the presence of a president of the United States. Didn't agree with Obama? Don't hate the guy. Don't agree with Joe Biden? Don't hate the guy. But in the end, what's acceptable behavior? And now the American people have elected somebody else president because they didn't like the way Donald Trump behaved. But Donald Trump has a huge groundswell of support for a lot of people. And actions like this, if it turns out to be that they could have just subpoenaed these documents, and but they raided his house, and the optics of it look like the crime of the century. And what it does is it riles up both bases on both sides. Because most reasonable people see a story like this and say, all right, what happened? Why would you do this? You have people on the side of the aisle that support the president that now have more resolve than ever before that you are just doing a hatchet job on this guy. You're out to get him and you're abusing your power. And the other side of the political spectrum now is even more venomous and they want to see him hung in the town square figuratively. So all you've done is rile up the base if this turns out to be something you should have done or could have done differently. And in all truth, it's never been done before. And I, I was reading on social media. I love this on social media. It's the same people that are haters of the power brokers that cops are that now love the FBI for doing this, that are justifying it. Say, yeah, but there nobody nobody tried to stage a coup and no other president has done. It's like, wait a minute. Hang on a minute. So you are going to gauge the behavior and the um, expansion of power with an agency based on whether you like what they've done or not. Bill Clinton was having sex with an intern in the Oval Office. And they hate Trump because of what he said of how he grabs women, which I thought was a horribly crass thing to say. But he shouldn't be allowed to be president. But those very same people fought to keep Bill Clinton in office. I'm just talking about how political ideology skews what we see. So instead of me jumping to conclusions, I started reaching out to people that know things a lot better than I do. 
Steve Hooper spent over 30 years with the FBI, his wife over 20. I think they have between them 55 years of leadership experience. These are seasoned veterans of the Federal Bureau of Investigation that um, grew into leadership roles everywhere they went. They worked out of the the Washington field office. They've done many high-level governmental investigations for government officials, including the Clintons, that they were a part of out of the Washington field office and said they've never seen anything like this. It's not me saying it. And I can tell you that the Hoopers are not some white, white, right-wing, um, you know, crazy, not at all. The Hoopers are people that spent over 50 years collectively in the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They hold the the agency in high regard, and they believe it should be held to the highest standard. And they are scratching their head trying to figure out how this was done the way it was done because it's never been done like this before. So here's what he said. Was this a normal approach? This didn't appear to be a normal approach and a uh, uh, normal uh, process that uh, that we've seen throughout uh, our career and, and certainly all the years we've been. We had done search warrants. So I'm going to bounce around a little bit. I'm going to go with at the end of the interview when he talked about what these raids usually are for and what he believes could have been done. I mean, you do you do a search warrant in an early morning entry on drug raids and on uh, you know uh, um, home invasion uh, investigations or human trafficking, something where evidence may be destroyed, and that's why you go in early in the morning. He wasn't even home. I mean, they could have issued a subpoena and just gone in and taken all the documents or had him bring all the documents. It just is something not right here. And in hindsight, again, it's not apples to apples completely. But what a lot of people are saying is, well, here's the difference as well. If you remember the document um, whole document conversation about Hillary Clinton and and secure documents and classified documents and how they found hundreds of classified documents on the computer, not of her assistant, not on Huma Abedin's computer, on her husband. And if you remember Anthony Weiner and what he was doing online, you mean to tell me his laptop wasn't compromised? There was no arrest. There was nothing. Nothing happened there. Now, am I saying that if they're going to raid Trump's home, they should have raided her home? No. But there was no punishment whatsoever. There was no real investigation. And then when it came to light that there were hundreds more documents on Anthony Weiner's laptop, the husband, not even the assistant, not even the, the employee of the State Department, but her husband's laptop, nothing happened. So – You have to realize that there are people out there that are not just crazed, tinfoil hat wearing this this media interpretation of everybody that disagrees being venomous, foaming at the mouth, irrational people is not the case. But people can see how things operate. And when this happens, these are the disparities you get if you don't have an even handed approach. So the accusation against law enforcement has always been when it comes to the defund the police movement is that police officers act differently in different neighborhoods with people of different economic levels and people of different skin colors. They treat them differently and that's not fair and that's not the way it should be. It should be an even-handed approach. There shouldn't be the disparity that's out there. Well, when this happens and you see this kind of a disparity with one side of the political aisle versus the other, then you just wave it off like it's never happened before. 
And this is where we, instead of saying what's right, and I didn't jump to any conclusions, and I still haven't. I listened to somebody that spent over 30 years with the FBI that says, I've never seen anything like this. I have never seen anything like this. So what's the difference? What was the difference between what they did this morning and the investigation that he was a part of? into the Clintons. I was in that Washington field office for 13 years, and we worked some pretty high-profile cases on government people, including the former president and first lady, the Clintons, in the 90s. And that was all known by at the highest levels with uh, public statements out there. It was all a coordinated effort to do this under the cover of darkness early in the morning at a former president's house was highly, highly um, unusual. And so there's no 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 anybody out there that that hates President Trump that thinks he's a criminal. You don't think that there's any validity to what you just heard from someone that spent over 30 years with the FBI. None whatsoever. And this is where we should be dropping our political guard and saying you need to look at it for what it is. And sometimes people you agree with are wrong. And we'll find out. We will find out soon enough what this is all about and if America thinks it rises to the level of an early morning raid from the Washington field office of the FBI. The Remain in Mexico policy is ending. The announcement from the Biden administration, what will that mean for Arizona? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Um, if you've not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, it is very, very simple to do, and I hope you'll do it. Um, and uh, we're going to get to a couple of things here in a few moments. Um, but I want to make sure we talk about this Remain in Mexico policy. And here's what I mean, and here's why. Um, the Remain in Mexico policy is over. There was a story about this over at KTAR.com. Head over there and read it. The Department of Homeland Security said yesterday it ended a Trump-era policy requiring asylum seekers to wait in Mexico. And when you listen to experts that are border experts, former directors of you know the CBP, the union director, others are saying that was a policy that was very effective in stopping the, st- the flow of people coming across our border. The idea from this administration has been, when it comes to the border, that they were going to be more humane. And I very honestly, sincerely asked this question of people that, um, A, were not supporters of President Trump, and B, are or were supporters of President Biden. Do you believe, based on what you see at the southern border of the United States, that this is a more humane way to treat people? And if the answer is yes, you and I completely and utterly d- d- disagree on the definition of the word humane. At the very best, if I go with your uh, definition of inhumane and I say to you, I will concede to you, which I'm not doing, but for the sake of argument, I'll say this, that the Remain in Mexico policy was inhumane. For a moment, let me say I agree with you. How in the world do you look at what's happening at our southern border and say it's more humane than that? Different is the best you can come up with. Certainly not more humane. What is happening at the southern border is bad for the people that are coming. 
It is bad for the federal agents that are trying to work with these people. It is bad for the border towns that are receiving them when they cross the border. It is bad for food banks. It is bad for shelters. It is bad for hospitals. It is bad for ranchers. The only people that it's good for are the cartels, and nothing is being done. Nothing is being done. And so when you say different, so if if the way it was before, and again, we can fight about what Trump did, but he's not the president anymore. So I'm going to just for the sake of argument concede to you that that policy should have changed. I don't believe that, but I don't have to argue about it because he's not the president. So if you say the Remain in Mexico policy is one we're not going to employ, A, you have experts in that field that say it was the best thing that worked or the closest thing to something working that we had. But you say, okay, it may have worked, but it was immensely inhumane. Look what's happening now. People sick and dying crossing the border. People pushed into slavery because they can't pay the cartels back the money that they owe them. That's the part of this that people don't understand. You think that all of these people that are coming here that are uh, claiming asylum are getting hearing dates. They're going out. They're living with families. Um, they are um, uh, you know, uh, living lives like Americans would live and productive lives and just waiting their turn. And that's not at all how this is working for many, many people. There are people that will do that. But if you owe the drug cartels money, most of the time – the men or boys are forced into the drug trade. So what ends up happening is the cartels say to them, we're taking your papers. We're going to take your monitoring device, whatever. You belong to us until you pay us the debt you owe us. And if you want to go to the police, go to the police. We'll kill your family. And when we find you, we're going to kill you. And the girls have it worse because they are forced into the sex trade. And if you don't believe that that's what's happening, you aren't paying attention. So we can argue about how our borders should be and how we should let good people in this country and we should re, uh, you know, kind of reinvent our immigration program. We need comprehensive immigration reform. And I would say to you that you and I would sit at that table and I would have that conversation with you every single day because I think you're right. I think our immigration system does need to be fixed. I think we do need to make it better and easier and make it good for families and good people to come to this country and live the American dream. I think all of that's true. But that's not border security. Border security is stopping what's happening right now. None of the policies of this administration address that. As a matter of fact, they've made it worse. And what's worse than that, the cartels have exploited it. The cartels are shipping more drugs across our border than they ever have before. A story in front of me. I've got very little time left in this hour. American teenager uh, arrested trying to smuggle 16 pounds of fentanyl across the Texas border. You've got an Arizona man sentenced to 66 months for smuggling ammunition into Mexico. The cartels have effective control of our southern border. How is it that we don't see that as an unmitigated disaster and a failure of this administration and our government? So you can't say it's more humane. Call it different at the very best. Certainly not more humane. Just after 11 o'clock, we had a conversation with the uh, president of PLEA, the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association. I'm going to tell you what he said. You'll hear it next.